This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is U.S. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer, helping meet the challenges of sustainability to help shape possibilities and our vision of health for all, hunger for none. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Minority Leader Mitch McConnell next. As a leader in the industry, we at Bayer have the opportunity and responsibility to help address the challenges around sustainability and ensure that we can all thrive while using our planet's resources in a sustainable way. Sustainability is an integral part of our operations, and we believe that farmers and agriculture can be part of the solution to many of the planet's biggest challenges. Whether that's helping growers utilize new technologies to get more out of their land, or incentivizing carbon-smart practices such as strip or no-till and planting cover crops, we're committed to innovate, grow, and partner with farmers to help shape what's possible and further our vision of health for all, hunger for none. For more on Bayer's sustainability efforts, visit Bayer.com forward slash en forward slash sustainability. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. A long list of global and domestic issues stand before the nation approaching the fall midterm election. U.S. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is still positive for the nation's future, but acknowledges the many challenges, including the recent conflict at the Supreme Court. What we've seen was a breach of privacy at the Supreme Court. Uh, Most people don't realize how big that is. It has never happened in the history of the Supreme Court. So I viewed it as a further effort by the left to sabotage the court. They've been talking about packing the court. They've been talking about term limits for court, Supreme Court justices, which is clearly unconstitutional. Uh, these incessant attacks on the Supreme Court. My counterpart, Senator Schumer, went over to the Supreme Court steps and called out Supreme Court justices by name and threatened them. Um, we need to leave the court alone. And as far as the investigation is concerned, the, the Chief Justice, I'm confident we'll find out who the leaker was. And at the very minimum, that person should never be allowed to practice law and maybe should be subject to even greater penalties. Now, as to whether or not this is the final decision, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, whenever the court finally makes a decision, they'll issue it, and I think we'll find out where the court feels uh, about the future of Roe versus Wade. If I think about the events that are happening in agriculture, maybe not to obviously the level of Roe versus Wade, but we have the Proposition 12 now from California about that would set a standard for hog production in the nation. We have the question about WOTUS that's before the Supreme Court. We have energy with regard to E15 and the rest that's been in front of the Supreme Court. For agriculture, this is a sacred place. But for the nation, this is this is where uh, ultimately democracy meets the road, doesn't it? Well, certainly the legality of actions that are taken will ultimately be resolved by the Supreme Court. Speaking of agricultural problems, how about the war in Ukraine? Ukraine is the breadbasket of the of the world, of a large portion of the world, I should say, and particularly Africa. 
Uh, right now, farmers in Ukraine can't decide whether to plant or not, and the reason they can't decide whether to plant or not, they're dodging the Russians, for one thing, and the other is the port through which uh, crops are exported, uh, Odessa, is mined, the harbor's mined. So um, that's going to have an impact on agriculture worldwide, not to mention the threats internally that you listed. So we talk about the Senate Agriculture Committee, at which you also said, in addition to being minority leader, uh, it's time to write a, another farm bill coming up here. And these are unprecedented times with regard of Russia and Ukraine. How does this change the latitude and the playing field as you and other leaders start to craft policy for the next five years? It's hard to craft policy when you have all these changes going on. And then you have the stymied exports to China because of our uh, unpleasant current relationship with them. So it's a very difficult time for American agriculture because of all these external events that are impacting the whole world and the supply of food to the whole world. A time of chaos in that area, we could give a list of national events that appear to have polarized the nation. And with the significance of that conflict, the threat of others in the environment that we're in with the midterm election coming up, can we find a peace before potential new storms? Well, we've had a midterm election right on schedule for over 200 years, and elections are frequently a pretty raucous discussion among opposing views. I think America can deal with challenging conversations and allegations and all the rest and sort that out. So I don't think American democracy is in any danger of, of uh, being run off the tracks, even though there are always a few people who try to make that happen. The conflict with Russia. Do you see it escalating? Do you see the U.S. involvement further in the conflict? Yeah, not not in terms of American troops in Ukraine, but this needs to be one. This is the most important thing going on in the world right now. Uh, the Russians need to be defeated. Uh, the Ukrainians, we believe, have the ability to do it. Uh, my view is the definition of victory is whatever President Zelensky says victory is. And uh, they've certainly been an inspiration, not only to their own people. He has. Uh, my favorite uh, comment I heard about him was he's Winston Churchill on a T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> he um, is an inspiration not only to his own people but to the rest of the world. And this is hugely important because President Xi in China has got to be watching all this because he covets Taiwan, and he's wondering whether it would be worth the price uh, given the devastating impact of sanctions on Russia, the fact that uh, five of their generals have been killed. Uh, They lost more soldiers in the first three weeks of this conflict, the Russians did, than we lost in Afghanistan and Iraq in 20 years. So this has been a very bad experience for Vladimir Putin. He deserves it. He's the personification of evil. He needs to be defeated. The Emerson Bill, the Dole-McGovern plan, have all been there for humanitarian aid over a period of time. And we're told from the World Food Prize um, that they are taking food from hungry people and giving it to starving people that food insecurity and starvation and malnutrition have raised around the world. There's even requests for additional funds. 
while dollars are tight in Washington, is this the time that Washington will step in to try to advert some of the hunger issues that have come as a result of this conflict? Yeah, I think we'll try to figure out how to do that because that's been something we've done for a very long time, as you pointed out. Um, these are uniquely challenging times in terms of feeding the world, and we'll try to look for ways to continue to make that possible. When you and I have talked about trade agreements, it's been about market access and gaining access to customers and opportunities for U.S. supplies. But now farmers have found themselves on a different side of the coin of having inputs that they need, fertilizer and other crop protection products. Does trade need to take another well, avenue to... Well, while you're to talking about that, how about the cost of everything? I mean, this administration, coupled with all the Democrats, opposed by every single Republican, dumped $2 trillion on the economy last year, which Larry Summers, Bill Clinton, Secretary of the Treasury, accurately predicted would cause 40-year high inflation, and it has. So everything farmers have to buy has gone straight through the roof, and that has exacerbated all of these problems that we've already been discussing. But with regard to trade, do we now need to find some yeah, areas of security yeah, to get the inputs we need yeah, for yeah, trade? Here's the, here's the situation with trade. Uh, trade Promotion Authority has expired. The last time, this is for your listeners, this is the process which makes getting a trade agreement possible. Gives the president the ability to negotiate a trade agreement, to send it up to Congress for an up or down vote, simple majority, without amendment. Trade policy is so toxic among Democrats that I had to join President Obama to get trade promotion authority over the opposition of the two Democratic leaders in the Congress, Pelosi and Reid at the time. This is an administration that's not interested in trade. In fact, I ran into the trade representative recently, and I asked her if she had anything to do. I'm unaware of any effort to negotiate currently a trade agreement with any country by by the Biden administration. So trade promotion authority has expired, but usually... If they have a trade deal, they ask us to put trade promotion authority back in place. I've heard not a word about trade out of the Biden administration. It leaves you with the impression that the AFL-CIO is in charge of trade in the Biden administration. We were told the nation's uh, farm broadcasters in Washington that the United Kingdom had signed over 20 different trade agreements from the time in the beginning uh, of, of this administration. And for the U.S., nothing new appears to be of no negotiated other than the Indo-Pacific deal, not many other items on the table. That died, too, earlier, because, honestly, both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton came out against that in 2016, so that that died. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, the process, the trade promotion process, has expired. And as I said earlier, I've not heard a word about any trade agreement being negotiated by this Biden administration. With the financial situation we find with 40-year inflation, how does this affect budget negotiations this year for the coming fiscal year and for this Congress to approve? Well, let's, let's, I think our biggest challenge in the, in the current discussions about next year's spending is to make sure we are adequately increasing for defense to deal with both our large power competitors, China and Russia, 
as well as the terrorist situation, which remains what it has been for years. But everything costs more. And so the Biden administration's submission for increases in defense don't even keep up with inflation. So one of the things we're going to be trying to achieve in discussions about how much we're going to spend next year is to get defense up so we can compete with our competitors. And, of course, we need to continue. Part of that is is winning the Ukraine war. So I know you said in the minority of the Senate, with regard to this year, could you forecast that appropriation bills are done prior to election or if there's a lame duck session? <laughs> that would be a prediction. It would be hard to make. Or if they carry into yeah, 23. No, These are I, the questions we wonder. Listen, we'll be lucky just to get it done. To have it done on time has not happened in a very long time, no matter who's been in the majority. One of the top issues that is discussed, I think on both sides of the aisle, is that about climate and climate change. I would be interested from your perspective, if you were in the majority, if the GOP were in the majority in the upper chamber, or speculation for the House, what what role would climate play in a GOP-led legislature compared to what we see now with this majority? Yeah, we, we believe that climate change is real, but that the way to tackle it is with technology. Technology innovations are occurring all across the country. Uh, we don't think the government putting its foot on the scales against any particular kind of energy production yeah. is appropriate, particularly given the energy shortages that we now obviously have on full display as a result of the uh, disputes in Europe. The European allies of ours and NATO are cutting back on Russian imports of oil and gas. They're good for them. That's exactly what they ought to do. That's got to come from somewhere else. So here at home, we've got an administration that's making it extremely difficult to produce and to export oil and gas. We were uh, a net oil exporter, met all of our needs, and then exported as late as 2019. That's been turned around by own uh, pressure on domestic producers by this administration. The, the president, if he's encouraging the Europeans to be a little less green... How about here at home? Because we have the resources to not only take care of our own energy needs, but to export and help the Europeans through this wartime situation and off of the dependency, their excessive dependency on the Russians. Your state is a rule. Coal was a big part of it. There were other states where coal played a very big role. This administration appears that transportation and electric vehicles go together for the future. Senator, is the nation's electric grid the base load? Is it ready for this influx of electric vehicles for transportation? I don't know the answer to that, but it's coming. I mean, in Kentucky, for example, we're going to have 2,000 new jobs in Bowling Green and 5,000 new jobs near Elizabethtown as a result of batteries for electric vehicles. So it's coming. Whether the grid can keep up with it, uh, we'll find out. But should coal, should other resources... I don't that think have- we can afford to give up on any of it. Of our, we need to have an all of the above, all, all of the above uh, solution, particularly when you have major supplies of energy being disrupted in Europe uh, by the Russian war. So, with regard to infrastructure, package was approved. Is it adequate to meet the needs of the nation, or are there still elements of infrastructure spending 
that should come before the Congress? I supported the bill. It was a bipartisan bill. It was $5 billion for roads and bridges in Kentucky in it. Um, whether it meets every single need, I wouldn't argue that, but it's a, the biggest infrastructure package since the 1950s, and uh, I thought it was the right thing to do for the country. Agriculture tells me that labor is still their top issue. Everybody's uh, top issue. Everyone's top you, issue. I don't care. You pick, you pick the business. Everybody's having trouble getting back people back to work. Even even employers who pay pretty high wages are having challenges. So it's 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 a, what we did is dump two trillion dollars on the economy. An awful lot of people have taken a look at their checkbook and decided I'm doing just fine without going back to work. We've exacerbated the problem, and um, until that. That's driven wages up for those who are still willing to work. They're making more money, but they need a lot more than that because of inflation. I think that it's it's hard to imagine anything this administration has not screwed up if you look at the last year and a half. Can you separate an agriculture worker program from immigration issues to a resolution for agriculture? Yeah, the problem with that is the Democrats don't like the guest worker program. You and I have talked about this for years. Uh, every Democratic administration has made it difficult uh, to function. And there are, that gets all kind of caught up in border security, which is a disaster. And so getting an expedited process for additional legal guest workers seems to me is something this administration is not interested in. You spent a lot of time in Washington and served your constituents. I'm interested from your perspective now, if you could, look at the lay of the land of the nation and, and tell us what, what state are we in and what direction do we need to move now? Uh, in, in spite of our discussion, I remain optimistic. Um, I think most people who think it's never been worse are wrong. We've had a lot bigger problems in our history over the last 200 years than we have at the moment. Uh, America has a remarkable ability to correct its flaws and to move on. I think I think we've made a lot of mistakes lately, but hopefully the American people will send a message this November that they'd like to go in a different direction, and if they do, I'd be happy to lead them in that direction. Senator McConnell is the minority leader of the Senate. You have the opportunity now. You're talking to an audience inside the Beltway. You're talking to agriculture leaders. Uh, all across the nation. This is called Open Mic, and you've uh, been very gracious to allow me to ask you questions. This is where I don't ask you a question. You have an open mic to address the nation. Well, I've been the majority leader, and I've been the minority leader. Majority is better. And I've been in this job now 16 years, and uh, if I were the majority leader, uh, you'd have things like the decision I made in 2016 not to fill the Supreme Court vacancy when Justice Scalia passed away. Had I been the majority leader last year, I wouldn't have even taken up the $2 trillion we dumped on the economy, which caused all of this inflation. The majority leader gets to decide what the Senate's going to do. I think Kentucky's been uniquely advantaged by that, and I hope to give Kentucky a unique advantage again after the November election. Our thanks to U.S. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer, helping meet the challenges of sustainability to help shape possibilities and our vision 
of health for all, hunger for none. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly.